Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast with me, Sarah Myerskoff. On this episode, I'm delighted to be speaking to Stuart Rutum, who, as many of you know, is the Group MD of Aston Lark. Stuart has nearly 25 years experience at senior management level in the insurance industry. He is a big advocate of the client-centric approach, and in this episode, he shares his thoughts on life during the COVID-19 pandemic. Stuart, thank you very much for coming on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Good morning. So, for the listeners, can you tell me about you, how you got to sitting in this room with me today. Oh my goodness, right, so um, I suppose like lots of people fell into insurance by accident, so the the very turbo life story sort of survived two weeks of A-levels before uh, succumbed to a job offer on an amazing £3,000 a year salary in 1985 and um, started with a local broker as a trainee motor insurance clerk, Um, worked my way into commercial joined uh, another broker called RK Harrison 10 years after that, um, started a schemes division, decided that there was a better way of doing schemes. I suppose probably where I made my name, um, if you like, elevated my career, developing schemes and affinity business. I ultimately joined the board of RK Harrison, had 20 uh, very good years there, and then decided it was time for a change in 2016. Peter Blanc picked up the phone to me to come join me at Aston Scott, and of course we've been incredibly busy since. You know, we're now Aston Lark, getting on for 900 employees, over 30 offices, busy both on the organic growth and the M&A. And um, my role as, as Group MD is trying to sort of oversee all of those things, working closely with Peter and the rest of the board to drive the business forward and um, ensure that M&A is successfully executed and integrated into the wider wider group. And that's why you're in the office at early hours every Absolutely. morning. Absolutely, uh, yeah, so um, home is Bedford for me, but um, I'm based in London, and actually I, I sort of rent a flat flat down here, so it's kind of, I sort of joke, when I, I actually left home just for I was 19 years old old in my, uh, to work at a, another branch, a job that nobody else wanted in my, the first broker I worked for, and um, here I am now, some 35 years <laughs> later, and um, I'm still living in a bedsit, so you know, <laughs> if you work hard, you too can... Uh, <laughs> And get to live in a in a dodgy flat in East London. So uh, uh, there you, need you go. You get what one a, of those beds that come out under your desk. What a glamorous life, indeed. Yeah, yeah. it might as well, to be honest. It does feel like that. But, uh, Work hard, play hard, indeed, though. Yeah, absolutely. You have, yeah, absolutely. You're off to France this weekend. So yeah, going to hopefully sneak away for a few days skiing. Obviously, as we're recording this on the what is it, 11th of March. Yeah. Yep. So coronavirus is obviously very much in the mind. So I'm sort of hoping I'll still be able to get away. But it's um, it obviously mm. does give you pause for thought, but. Um, you know, we're working closely with all the, all the team here, um, you know, trying to prepare. Um, but it's really quite difficult, you know, trying to get that balance of following government advice, but keeping people calm who are sort of perhaps people who feel more vulnerable in terms of their own health and so forth. It's, um, it's really quite difficult. But um, I guess with technology now, we're, we're confident that, um, you know, 80, 90% of our workforce are kind of already sort of able to work from home and so forth. So we're just sort of making sure that we can keep serving our customers through what we don't quite know whether there's going to be a, an economic shock from this and uh, if there is how long it's going to last so it's um, certainly throwing up some new challenges for us to yeah. think about. 
Yeah, it is. My daughter's supposed to be going skiing oh, as well, okay. and we're waiting yeah. to hear whether that's going to be pulled. But like you say, the, the economic fallout of this, even if it doesn't go much further than it is now, is bound to be huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, for your... For commercial customers, the, the ripple effect of, you know, we've had sort of some high-profile things like Flybee already, but, you know, if you're doing lots of business in the leisure, you know, restaurants, you know, we've got some big restaurant clients, you know, it's, it must be very, very tough at the moment, and that will quickly put pressure on their cost management, and, of course, insurance is one of those costs that they'll be looking closely at. So, you know, and we're seeing a, a, a hardening market, I suppose, overall as well, certainly in certain pockets of commercial insurance. So... Um, it always seems to be that double-edged sword of a hard market comes along at a time when businesses are perhaps, um, you know, facing an unexpected tough time on costs. So it's going to be, um, you know, challenging waters for brokers to navigate and being really close to your customers and demonstrating how you add value is going to be, you know, really important. And of course, yeah. So that's quite an interesting question. Mm. So one of the um, things that we've talked about previously is um, value-added services. And I know Aston Lark work quite a focus on mm. value-added services yeah. so it's an all-round offering to the client That's right how do you think the political environmental health challenges that we are facing at the moment and i'm thinking particularly coronavirus but also brexit and mm-hmm. just the general world how do you think that will affect the ability to on-sell value-added services when premiums are being hiked up yes yeah, it's a good point i mean i think um I guess one of the best, most common areas that brokers look to sort of add value is around risk management, and I, you know, I, I think there's there's probably not that many brokers out there that do it do it well. And I, I think if I look at us, I think there's, you know, some parts we do well, but there's other parts we definitely need to improve. And it is, um, I think it's a challenge for brokers to, you know, we're used to making our core revenue on the commission or fees for arranging the insurances. We're we're less good at then extracting value for those additional services so we can sometimes be perhaps lack the confidence and be too quick to give away additional services free of charge or we're not very well equipped at selling those additional services so the sort of things that businesses absolutely need help with I mean business continuity planning would be something that business businesses probably sort of nod their head and say, yeah, I know, I know I should be thinking about that. And it's you know, a number of times we've been asked, have you got one I can copy? And of course, you know, I know look, this is the whole point of a business plan is business recovery plan is that it's personal to you and that it's you thinking about what you would do tomorrow if you turned up and, you know, there was a Boeing 757 sitting on top of your roof, you know, and coronavirus is probably something that most people haven't necessarily factored into their business continuity plan. So it's, it's um, throwing up new challenges. And how do you support a business to do that? Because you've just mentioned coronavirus, hmm. you just wouldn't know. No. So if you were to plan for a Boeing 747 to land on your roof yeah. versus a health epidemic, yeah. pandemic, whatever they call it, the continuity planning that would be required for each of those things is quite different. Yeah, it's quite quite different. I guess, you know, I mean, the first part is really, I guess, getting businesses to be even thinking about it. Because I guess if you, you know, if, you, if a business gets the right people in a room and sort of says, Okay, what are the things? There's certain obvious things, aren't there? Like, okay, we turn up to one, as I say, there's a Boeing 757 or there's a major fire, but it's those, you know, you know we've seen issues in London with uh, non damaged denial of access because of terrorist threats. So, you know, it's an ever, ever evolving thing and you have to learn from past events and, and adapt going forward. So, I guess sometimes there is that inevitable after the horse has bolted, but but the horse might bolt again, so you learn from it and you know evolve your planning. And, and how do you help your clients? Because obviously you guys 
support that. Yeah, and I, I, well, I suppose I, you know, the key must be our account executives are talking to our clients, not just about the things they're insuring today, but about the emerging risks. And, you know, so absolutely right now, coronavirus will be a hot topic out there. But, you know, cyber has probably been a really good example of an emerging risk that I am quite sure you would see huge disparity in the quality of advice that clients are receiving from brokers around the country. You know, we've, we've invested heavily in training, awareness, and really are focusing our, our teams on proactively talking about cyber. You know, we, are, we, I know as a business, we are seeing more and more attacks, is perhaps too strong a word, but issues, data-related issues, where you know it feels like your network is coming under attack and um, you know and okay i know we're a, we're a reasonably sized business but you kind of it just feels it's getting more and more out there so obviously you're seeing it in your clients have you guys faced any of that kind yeah we've had um, you know we've had definitely attempts at sort of phishing attacks and and so forth you know i would say be wrong to say it's every month but you know i would say this year we will have probably by the end of the year we'll have had half a dozen incidents where we would have, you know, felt it needed, necessary to sort of invoke our sort of, you know, response committee to be talking about it and make sure we're, we're on it and, and dealing with it. You know, it's touch wood so far, nothing that has caused us any damage or harm, nothing that where it's been down to us, but just, you know, p- people attempting to find a, a weakness and try and get into get into your network. It's a little bit scary. You guys are, like you said, a reasonably sized business. Mm. So you've got the response committee and you've yep. got the expertise yeah. either uh, presumably in-house but maybe some outsourcing yeah and as well. some outsource expertise that's right how do you support your clients who you've got quite a large sme client yeah, base yeah, yeah. so i think a big part is the awareness so you know when, when you're talking about cyber insurance actually a big part of the proposition with that product is actually all the crisis management and risk management that goes with it so it is less about just going and selling an end product it is about raising that awareness, being able to talk about our sort of real life examples and ask, you know, getting them thinking about it. Because I think it's too easy for them to think about their sort of bricks and mortar and obvious employers and public liability sort of risks. It's those hidden cyber risks and, and the data and, and just the knock on reputational risks that can come from that. So, you know, I think most of the product providers, um, you know, there's some very good uh, products out there and they're rapidly evolving, but those products are very well-rounded offerings that are where insurance is just one component part, frankly. So when an SME business engages on cyber insurance, they should be getting, you know, hand in hand that both preventative support before anything issues occur, as well as really good crisis response support if the worst happens. Do you think there's an issue with semantics here? And I tell you, I'm thinking directly of me, actually, of of Boston Tullis. So obviously we have uh, insurance and we have cyber insurance. The whole semantics around value-added, add-on, blah, blah. It's so easy to go, do you want cyber? Yeah, add-on. Nailed it. Yeah. Like, but no, you haven't because, like you say, it's one component part yeah. Yeah. and you really have to engage with that. And how do you help an SME engage with that when they're wearing 15,000 hats? Yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, it's a fair. I mean, I guess it is getting their attention, grabbing their attention. Um, it's about our account executives having the confidence, you know, in their knowledge to get out there and, and really be advising their clients and, you know, scaring them a bit. Is that sort of what's keeping you awake at night and what should be keeping you awake at night? Perhaps what they, what they don't know, they don't know. So is that raising awareness? Um, I think cyber is, you know, it's obviously a very young 
cover but rapidly evolving and so it's up if we don't raise awareness it's our job our job is not just to advise our clients on the things that they are insuring but it's making them think about the things that they're not currently insuring i um, saw something on linkedin i think i saw it because i think you commented on it okay and it was an account exec yes really well written piece tim wayne's been on a cyber yes. awareness course with her cfc underwriting so that's exactly yeah, it so the three different policies, yeah, 6.9 million cover, yeah, great, yeah, 3.2 yeah, yeah, and nothing. Right. Yeah. How do you, presumably that's where the training and the confidence Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say we're perfect, but I, I know we've invested heavily in the training. Um, I know we are selling a lot of cyber insurance. We've moved uh, one of our ladies, Catherine, who had showed a strong interest in the topic, We've sort of taken her away from her day job and she is now our national cyber champion, if you like. Part of her role is helping the branches around the country get more confident. And so that, you know, I want to make sure that a client in Padstow gets the same quality advice and end product as someone in Glasgow or Colchester. But also, I, I think there's an opportunity from a new business point of view, if I was honest. But um, I think I could see us over the coming months winning new clients just focusing on the cyber insurance you know at the moment we tend to sort of go in and want to look at everything and you know try and save the money on their bricks and mortar and their traditional covers but um i'd almost be thinking well actually there's probably some scary scary exposures for clients who probably perhaps think they are well protected on cyber but aren't where we would go in and you know be able to demonstrate how professional a job we could do where, frankly, I, I suspect that as you're walking out the building, you could be taking a, a letter of appointment to, to mm. pick up the rest. You know, so I win the business on the cyber. Yeah, That's where that you differentiate and, and show your expertise as a broker and the other parts sort of, sort of follow. You mentioned earlier, and it ties in with this, there's ways to do risk management well and yeah. ways to do it badly. Yeah. So what do Aston Lark do and, and what's your advice? So, so our offering is evolving. Um, you know, we have some in-house physical risk management capability in terms of that property and casualty. So we have an ability to support our corporate clients with sort of independent surveys and, and advice and support. Uh, we've got a health and safety uh, guy, Nibosh, qualified. But it, it kind of feels a bit subscale for us at the moment. Um, I think, again, I know there are, there are a small number of brokers out there who have built up their own in-house teams, you know, and I think credit to them for they've, they've done that. I think that's a brave call. Typically, I think the challenge for brokers is, can you make it into a profit stream, which if you're going to invest heavily in the people becomes really important. Whereas if you've got a relatively small cost base, you can justify it as a value add and a retention tool or a tool to help you win new clients. You're less focused on whether they're making you money in their own right. I think that's where we are at the moment. And we believe there is opportunity to move it into the profit center space. Mm. We're looking at our offering around how do we help customers understand the risk they're exposed to and then what solutions can we offer? And we, we're probably looking at it more through the lens of partnering with the right providers where we think, right, here's a really good business continuity uh, support yeah. provider or here's a really good health and safety online tool. Rather than us try and reinvent the wheel, let's go and assess the market, find the right partners. That brings less risk because we're not going out spending loads of money and then keeping our fingers crossed that we can sell the services. So I would say that's probably a, a practical way that more and more brokers could create sort of virtual risk management mm -hmm. by not necessarily feeling you've got to have it sitting in your office, but you know you have the competence 
and a network to tap into and you're talking to your clients about that's that's the key talking to clients about it and then go and find the solutions that they need i know the product you're talking about we've we've previously discussed it before and one of the problems perhaps you guys are facing and i suspect that smaller brokers with less disposable income will be facing is buying into this product to white label it or Mm -hmm. partner Mm -hmm. with it and offer it as an on-sell profit stream is how do you know it's going to sell? Yeah, yeah. And does that come back to the same sort of training that you're doing around cyber? So do you have a risk management expert that would take this Yeah, you've, I think as a broker, you've got to have someone owning it. Um, so someone needs to say, right, I'm going to help develop the offering and then raise awareness with you know your account executives. I think, you know, this is perhaps a bit unfair, but I, I think there will be a lot of account execs and brokers who are getting out to see the client and they get the renewal instructions and then they sort of run out the building as quick as they can before the client changes their mind. And so you, you are having to drag them out of their comfort zone a bit, whether it's talking about cyber, whether it's talking about risk management services. And I mean, it should be the front end part of what they're talking about to sort of, you know, that evaluation of identification of risks and what they're doing to mitigate and how we can help them control them. So I feel like there's a head flipping thing here. So it's back to the semantics of value added, add on, renewals, and keeping that thought process is, is wrong because that's the component part. Mm. You have an opportunity now with coronavirus to go in and say, hey, Mr. Client, can I come and talk to you about coronavirus and yeah. how it could impact your business? Because I'm not selling it. you insurance. Yeah. I'm supporting your business. Yeah. I'm a business yeah. support. Yeah. Uh, you know, a good broker, you know, we, should be, we shouldn't be going straight to the solution or the product that we, you know, we should be let's understand all the things, what's all the issues and the risks affecting your business and then how can we, how can we help mitigate those? And, how and, do you do that as a small broker when you haven't got a beautiful office I think, like this? I, I, I don't think that's due to size. I think that's, that's ultimately down to the quality of the account executive. I don't think there's any excuse for not doing it. It is kind of, it is, you know, just because you haven't got those in-house services doesn't mean, you know, if you can be a small broker and you can still give your client really good advice on how they manage their health and safety exposures. Part of that should be you as an account executive identifying the issues, you know, if they, I don't know if there are hotels, slips and trips, might, you know, and how do they, what are they doing about managing those exposures? And then if they need help, then you as a broker absolutely should be able to go and find that. There's, you know, it's with the, with the internet these days, finding those, you know, and it could be the insurer. The, often the insurers are able to provide, you know, a, a good dose of help. But, um, you know, if you want to separate yourself out as a broker and, and having your own, network of, of providers that's it, it's not that difficult to do because it doesn't come with fixed costs you're right with some some of the platforms if you want a white label there might be some upfront cost but then i guess that's a is a negotiation to be had as a bit of a chicken and egg scenario of you know you might say well look you know th- th- there'll typically be offers where if you buy 100 licenses you'll get them for a lot less than if you buy 10 but you might want to take the view well Right now, I'll just buy 10, I, I, and it might mean the first few I sell, I'm not making a profit on, but um, I can prove the concept, I can gain confidence such that if I can see that there is demand out there, then I can get next time, I will go and buy more units where I can then drive margin. So I think it's just thinking smart. I, I, I think um, absolute brokers need to be careful about thinking it's going to be easy because it's definitely a, a training issue with account executives getting them to behave differently with their clients. And how easy do you find that? Because that's one of the things in my line of work when I'm talking to people that they find very, very difficult because yeah. there's a mindset and yeah. there's a confidence. and, and yeah. A- yeah, I think, um, and it varies. I think, you know, some 
some account executives find it easier than others. You know, I think you know most account executives are are very good at looking after their clients and do a very competent job of that. Where they where some will find it more difficult is when they, they need to go off piste and you know whether it's talking about learning a new skill, talking about cyber. You know, probably ten years ago or fifteen years ago, talking about DNO, they'd have had the similar challenges of getting confident about talking about something new. You know, and they don't want to almost put the whole client thing at risks, risk by getting it wrong. But you can't do that because all it takes is for somebody else to come in and then make the incumbent account executive look foolish because the new firm coming in is talking about things that the customer is worried about but haven't been raised before. So, you know, ultimately account executives, it's incumbent on them to not stop learning, you know, and not stop challenging the way they do things and realizing that they need to grow their book you know that's a you know brokers need to grow to survive and it's not enough to be thinking you're doing doing your job well enough just to sort of keep your clients it's about growing those clients and finding new clients you know it's um you know that's what that organic growth is the is the oxygen of any of any business and we talk about that a lot in our group what do you think the challenges are and i'm talking about today in the, in the current market with with insurtech with coronavirus with brexit with the world <laughs> what are the current challenges for the small brokers and i'm thinking a million gwp mm. maybe to two but you know, small brokers what are their challenges to grow some of them might only be one man bands yeah yeah how well i would say i mean coronavirus i guess is a huge unknown at the moment i mm. guess it's that is there going to be an economic shock? I mean, that ripple effect of businesses, you know, so, you know, if you're in a service sector, hotels are having a really tough time at the moment. And if that goes on for any sustained period, that's going to have a knock-on effect. You know, as soon as businesses start having to, you know, reduce staff numbers, reduce turnovers, that tends to have a ripple effect of their insurance program. Not just that the, the values at risk might come down, but their ability to pay the premium, therefore their need to uh, either look around or cut out what uh, they might feel are optional covers and so forth. So there's a real pressure on brokers that you could see earnings drift down without necessarily an ability to cut easily cut your cost because you're doing the same amount of work managing clients, but they're looking to spend less and you know so that's a are you in a client facing role now or do you not not directly now no i mean i'm overseeing you know the divisions that are doing so so i'm close enough to have a i guess to have an understanding it's it's been a while but not now so i have have done it put it that way if you said yes i'd have been blown away because how would you fit that in (laughs) um so you now Mm. are advising your account exec whose entire book is based on hotels and restaurants yeah what are you telling them to tell their clients to support, to help, to manage and reduce? So, so, so really, I mean, I think um, I think you need to be, put yourself in their in their shoes and sort of right, understanding what their issues are and being really sensitive to that and being proactive about not going into it with a mindset of right, how can I how can I protect my fee on that client? If you just go through that lens, you're gonna you're gonna get found out. I think it's you know, accepting that that client is going through a really hard time, how can I help them survive that? Ensure they keep the key protection in place. So if they come to you and say, Stuart, I can't afford to pay, I need to save save money, working through, let's sit down and talk about that. Primary, you know, be on the front foot and helping them 
you know, and it might be there's looking at the basic of are there things that are less essential? Can we help them with premium finance if they're not been used to paying it that way? Are there things we can do on risk management that might be able to help help reduce uh, spend? It's about being on the front foot and not going into hiding, sort of burying your head in the sand, thinking if I just keep quiet, it might all be okay. And I think the you know the sense is at this stage that there is a real risk of an economic shock, but that it is likely to be a relatively short-lived one because it will it will be a, a consequence of you know lots and lots of people staying at home and lack of confidence and people not spending you know money on travel and so forth. So, but it's a ripple effect of how that affects. I don't know, unless you're a broker specialising in toilet roll manufacturers at the moment, you're probably, <laughs> you know, you, you're probably going to see an impact whether, you know, if you're, you know, we've got lots of haulage clients, so if they're not moving as much stuff around, you know, all of that, it's really quite difficult to sort of plan for fully at this stage because it's an evolving piece, but you've definitely got to, um, you've got to be alive to it, you've got to be, I think, prepared to make difficult decisions. You know, it's, it's kind of, I guess, like the last, you know, in the last recession, you know, there were tough decisions that had to be taken to survive that. We um, we just don't quite know what we're dealing with at the moment. I mean, we're our main focus now is making sure that our workforce is mobile, able to work from home and continue to serve our customers. I guess that next phase is then understanding if we are seeing a real impact on revenues, how do we manage that um, and, you know, and kind of uh, keep that under control and, and, you know, make sure that we our business can survive and come out the other side. Um, you know, we're confident about that, but it's, but it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a challenging few months. Yeah. And Brexit, you mentioned, you know, Brexit for most businesses, most small brokers probably won't materially affect them uh, directly. Um, what you tend to find is most businesses have a smattering of clients in Europe. Um, we actually had several thousand customers in Europe. We have a musical instrument scheme, about 7,000 customers in, in Europe. And so we've already Brexit proofed that part of our business. Um, we invested in a couple of brokers over in Ireland, Robertson Lowe and Wrights, which sort of started off as a Brexit plan, but has, has evolved into a much broader sort of Irish uh, growth strategy, which we're very excited about. I think one of the things that's not well understood in brokers at the moment, and so I would certainly ask them to be thinking about this, is that um, I think most brokers understand, you know, that, that Brexit might change things, but they're probably looking at it through, well, insurers are telling us they've got their, they've sorted themselves out. So, you know, Lloyd's is now set up in Brussels and Chubb, I think, is, is set up in France. Where, you know, they've all, those insurers have made their solutions. And I think brokers might be under the misconception that, therefore, that's okay. They can now still deal with Chubb for their, their commercial client based in France. It's okay. They'll still be able to place that with Chubb, but they'll place it through Chubb in France now. That's not correct. If there is a hard Brexit at the end of this year, if there isn't a trade deal, brokers will, UK brokers will not be able to serve and advise European-based clients. So they are going to have to have a Brexit solution. And I think, I think I sense a lot of brokers are under the impression that the insurance company sorted it out, therefore that's okay. But the insurance company just sorted their ability to continue underwriting the policy the broker needs to have its own solution as to how it is going to serve and advise that client because it won't be able to do it from the UK. And what's your advice in that? Because not everybody can go and set up a branch in Ireland or France. Correct. Or... No, that's quite right. So I guess first of all, understand what your exposure is. Make sure you understand and, and what the hard Brexit could look like and how many clients could be affected and potentially partner with a broker. I mean, um, you know, there's obviously there's all sorts of networks out there. You know, if it's one or two clients, you might have to make a tough decision of, of kind of say, look, look practically, the world's changed, I can't handle that client, but let me help find that client 
a broker in France and we, where we join up, you know, and perhaps have an income split, but you just have an informal arrangement with a broker in the relevant country to say, can you help me service this client? You know, we'll continue to look after the UK bit. I need your help on servicing the French bit. So I think it's, I, I, I think for most brokers, it will be a small issue. Yeah. So they just won't have many clients that fall into that trap. Small, but important. But yeah, it could be, you know, yeah, because they might be, you know, if it's suddenly they're losing 5% of revenue, that for a small business, that could be the difference between making a profit or not. Mm-hmm. Year. So I think that my advice would be, be thinking about it now. If I was a betting man, having sort of stared at two cliff edges last year, which is why we in the end decided we're just going to prepare our musical instrument scheme for Brexit. So we've done it. We, we've got nothing. We haven't got to do it again come the end of the year. We are now, we have divided our musical instrument business between UK, rest of world and Europe already. So we, we've done our Brexit thing. But, uh, you know, all my instincts are with all the posturing from government and uh, the European uh, Commission, we will not know until very late in the deal day whether there's going to be a deal or not. Yeah, so um, you have to plan. You can't be trying to sort this out in December. If, if there's no deal 1st of January, it will be, you know, you won't it'll be against the law to be dealing with yeah. clients in Europe in the way we perhaps do today. No, I think that's very helpful for the listeners, mm. incredibly helpful. I'm very aware that you've got a, a coronavirus conference call <laughs> that's in right. a few oh, minutes. Next, uh, yeah, that's, okay. so that's okay, yeah, just no last, problem. Last couple of questions. Sure. What one thing do you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey? There's a say, I've heard it said by uh, Gary Player, a very famous golfer, who says, it's funny, you know, the, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. And I do think, look, I think insurance is, a, I've been in insurance for, yeah, 30, coming up 35 years, and I think it's a, a wonderful, you know, profession. And my, my advice to, you know, up and coming talent would be, you know, it is, you will make your own luck if you work hard, if you network, if you look to expand your sphere of knowledge and don't get sort of settled in just doing what you're doing. If you've got that, show that energy, go looking for the opportunities. And be a bit patient. Doesn't happen always overnight, but you will make your own luck. And um, you know, I look, I, I can look at my career, and there are two or three pivotal moments of where I've made decisions that, if I'd made different decisions, I'm not sure I would be Group MD of a you know fast-growing 900 employee business owned by Goldman Sachs, and with all the challenges and opportunities that, that go with that so um, definitely um, you know there's definitely moments of you know those key decisions but you know I definitely had a, a work ethic uh, and and an ambition I guess um, and if you if you can combine that you, you would like to hopefully come out come out shining last question if someone took the insurance industry away what would you do what would I do what would your next career choice be it's interesting. I, I, we haven't really had a chance to talk about in, in, in sure tech. Um, no, to, uh, and I, I wanted to ask you about yeah, schemes well, and affinity. So, so I suppose my answer would be, look, if I, in sure tech is really interesting. Um, sort of, we, we sort of scratch our heads about it as, as Aston Lark. You know, you, obviously you, you sort of look with interest at lots of new things emerging in a, or being publicised and then it goes quiet. You know, so it's very difficult to get a feel for what is actually happening in insure tech and to what extent it's having an impact today or is likely to have an impact so and it's not because we are complacent it's not that you know we're, you know we would always be absolutely worried about the idea that we wake up tomorrow 
and we've been asleep at the wheel and someone comes and steals our breakfast. But I do sense that, you know, in the early stages of InsureTech, there was lots of talk about, you know, each of these think they're on to the next big thing that's going to be the world, take over the world, the next Amazon or eBay. And of course, reality is the vast majority of them won't be, none of them may be, but there will be nuggets in there of really good ideas. And our challenge is kind of, how do we identify those? Because what, what we've got as Aston Lark is, you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands of customers. And what InsureTech often have got is no customers, but nugget of a really good idea or a really good technology solution. And I think I sense, and again, I would encourage InsureTech, you know, to reach out to us because we, we kind of don't, it's not easy. We sort of, we're very busy, so we don't know how to go and find them. But, you know, we, we are very open to collaboration. And I, and I sense InsureTech is thinking more in terms of collaboration, perhaps than when they first started that sense of they could take over the world and a bit of reality sets in of actually... We've got some great ideas, but companies like Aston Lark, actually, they're not bad companies either. So if we can work together, then maybe there's a real win-win there. And I, I, would, I did I, a, a very interesting podcast with Ranveer Sagu from Blockshore. Okay. And I think Peter and Ranveer have had okay. a conversation yeah. just from something Ranveer yeah. said. I haven't spoken to Peter yeah. about it. But blockchain was huge, and yeah. then it's gone. And yeah, then it's yeah, huge, and yeah, then it's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. But the podcast, I'll send you the link when it okay. comes yeah. out because it's not live yet. I think it might be next yeah. week's one going live really interesting the okay. way they think yeah really really interesting yeah. so uh, there's no doubt they definitely think differently but but you know we're obviously doing something right because we've got you know but say absolutely it's not about being complacent and i, I think so to your question if i wasn't if i wasn't in aston lark if i you know if i was stepping away from aston lark tomorrow then i, I think actually a bit of gray hair in an insure tech business i'd be quite interested to go and see that that type of operation and you know, to be part of something that obviously does think differently, but then be that bit of grey hair in the room that kind of and bring keep, keeps the collaborative. it real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. You know, I don't, they might laugh at that and say that they wouldn't need that, but that would be pure perception, if I'm honest, but sort of um, observation from 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 the outside. But um, well, I'm finding that a professional golfer. Winning, so one is. of those, and I, I just haven't decided yet. So, uh, <laughs> when you grow up, you Absolutely. can make the choice. There's always time. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Stuart. No, I've really you. enjoyed really that. Enjoyable. I really wanted to ask you about uh, schemes and affinities that you set up from your early years. So, I will maybe badge you for another half okay, an hour yeah, of your very time. Happy. Yeah, very at happy. At some point in the uh, future, bring Lee Scott in and perhaps talk about our approach to schemes. Very happy to talk about that. Would be wonderful. What we think is sort of yeah, you know, sort of what we've learned over the years in you know good building of schemes and, and where it can go wrong and so forth. So that would be really interesting. Thank you right. very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you.